Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. I'm glad you've joined us. You can open up in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we'll continue today. We are in a series uh, through the book of 1 Peter, just going verse by verse, passage by passage, uh, and seeing what God has for us. Uh, today, uh, we're going to start in his reading in verse 16. Um, last uh, last week, we saw the command to submit to every human authority because of the Lord, uh, and especially to submit to the governing authorities. And uh, with the election coming up and everything going on, I would definitely recommend, if you missed that, go back and listen to it. I think Pastor Kevin just did a really great job of leading us. How do we think about this as Christians? Um, and, and so, but this week, Peter begins to flesh this out, submission to authority in daily life through members of the ancient household, okay? So next week, uh, he's gonna address wives and husbands, uh, but he starts this week by addressing the slaves, okay, the household slaves. And so let's read, starting back in verse 16, and we'll, uh, we will uh, get into our service. As we do each week, would you stand in honor of reading God's word? And we will read from 16 through the end of the chapter. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what's good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would open your word to us, that you would shed light on it, you would shine, you would help us to understand. Holy Spirit, we know that we, uh, we don't understand well without you, without your help, without your leading. So would you lead us now into all truth? Would you break down all the barriers in our mind that might be there to us, truly hearing from you, hearing what you have to say and how you want to teach us, encourage us, challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You can be seated. I think this passage this week is a call to unjust suffering, right? A call to endure unjust suffering. Uh, and, and so we're gonna ask three questions and kind of walk through our text this morning. Um, the first is what exactly are we called to here? What is this passage calling us to? Two, why should we endure unjust suffering? It's a good question. And number three, how can we have the power to actually do it? So what are we called to? How or why should we do it? And then how can we actually uh, have the power to accomplish it? 
So first, what exactly are we called to here? Um, Peter begins by addressing household slaves, which would have been a part of every Roman family unit. And when we think of slavery, I think we think of a very different thing than ancient slavery, right? Um, When the Bible talks about slavery, we need to remember a few things. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin writes helpfully that we should remember three things. One, um, ancient slavery was not race-based. So it wasn't based on your, uh, your race, the color of your skin. Two, it was common for people to sell themselves into slavery uh, as it represented a form of employment and was preferable to destitution in, in some cases. And number three, uh, while many slaves in the ancient world suffered brutality and exploitation, of course, um, advancement was also possible through the, the slave status and beyond. So be even being doctors, uh, even being you know, a, a senior civil servant. Think of Joseph in Egypt, how he was a slave and rose to being second only to Pharaoh. So while, while it's still not a good or just social arrangement, um, this is very different from the awful and brutal practice of 17th and 18th century African chattel slavery that we're familiar with, that we study in our history books. Peter's comments here are not meant to, to condone slavery as an institution, right? But they're rather just meant to address people in their situation, right? He, he's just said, and we just saw last week, he just said, submit to the emperor, honor the emperor, honor Nero, the evil emperor. And we, we said that wasn't an endorsement of Nero's evil behavior, right? But rather it was a recognition of the authority and, and the position that Nero had from God, in the same way, uh, Peter here is addressing society as it stands, right? How should a Christian be faithful in the first century in the Roman Empire? Um, some estimates put the number of slaves as a, a quarter of the Roman Empire, so a lot of people, right? And Peter has to speak to them, so he's addressing these people, and he's actually giving slaves, giving household slaves a lot of dignity by addressing them directly, addressing them as people. Uh, and and, and the, with the way, the Bible gives dignity to all people, right? Lifts up slaves, the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, saying every person is made in the image of God. Every person is equal in value and dignity. Uh, we don't know, but, but we might can guess that many of the churches Peter's writing to here uh, had a large percentage of people from lower classes, and so uh, the question becomes, what, what can we learn from this instruction to first century Roman uh, household slaves? And I think this becomes more clear when we take the passage in context, as is always true. Uh, Peter just said in verse 16, which we read, that we're to submit as God's slaves. Right, we're to submit as slaves to God. And it's a striking thing to learn. I know it was striking for me to learn uh, that this was a common way that Christians, or at least Christian leaders, identified themselves. Right, Peter himself says at the beginning of Second Peter, Simon Peter, a doulos, a some translations translate it servant, but that's the word slave, a slave, and apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, Peter, Paul, James, Jude—they all introduce themselves as slaves of God. Isn't that interesting? They're writing to the church, and the first thing they say, Here, "This is Paul, a slave of Jesus." Right. We, we are slaves of Jesus, right? I think this teaches us. We, we do not belong to ourselves, right? We belong to God. And that's a very countercultural thing, isn't it? Uh, but we belong to him. And so when Peter starts by addressing household slaves, uh, I think he's intentionally highlighting them first as being representative of all Christians, right? Slaves of God. 
Um, Christians of all social classes would have experienced some amount of alienation, persecution, loss of status and respect, uh, financial and social harm for being faithful to Jesus. And this is a major theme, the major theme of the book of 1 Peter, right? The, the enduring suffering. And so he begins to address uh, the household and household slaves. And so we need to ask, where can we, uh, like where do we have this type of authority over us? Just like we compared Peter's command to, to submit to the governing authorities, uh, to submit to the emperor as a command to submit to our elective, elected officials. I think that's a good parallel. Um, I think uh, the clear place to apply this, maybe for us, is in the workplace. Right? Most people have a boss, a manager, a supervisor. That's not an exact parallel, of course. Uh, but, but don't they have authority over you? And aren't they, uh, you know, aren't you in some ways more or less voluntarily, of, of course, subject to the kind of mood they're in, right? To how kind or how cruel they are. Students, um, for you, teachers at school, I think are a good, uh, good parallel to this, right? Can't, can't they, aren't they in authority over you? Can't they make your life really difficult? Right? Can't they treat you unjustly? You can. Let's look at what, what he says. In verse 18, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is, it, is there if, you, if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, you, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Okay, so he says, submit to your masters, not only the good ones, not only the kind ones, but also the cruel ones, also those who are mean. Notice a few things here. First, it says to do this with all reverence, right? Submit to your masters with all reverence. This phrase, some translators say, with all fear, every time it's in the book of 1 Peter, it, it is referring to God, not to people, right? This is, this is fearing um, God, not your master. And so we're not to fear the people, right? As Christians, we don't fear anything, right? This, this is the most repeated command in the Bible. Do not be afraid, <laughs> which I think is very relevant right now. Do not be afraid of anything. Um, but, but so we're not to be afraid of people. We're to be afraid and we're to fear God. So just as we're to submit to our governing authorities because of the Lord, it said, we're also to submit to vocational authorities because of the Lord, Fearing God, knowing who rules history, knowing who has put this person for however, whatever amount of time in our lives in a position of authority over us, we submit to them gladly. Next, notice he says, do good. Right? He says, do good. Don't suffer for being evil. Suffer for doing good. If he, he says, if you get beaten for a wrong you did, that's not an admirable thing, right? Uh, if you steal from work and you get caught and you get fired, that's not injustice, right? That's just justice. Uh, that's, that should happen. Um, if you fail a test, students, that you don't study for, right? That's not injustice, right? Don't give me that. No, it, that's just a natural consequence of your actions, that's not what we're talking about here. He's saying what brings favor with God is if you endure suffering for doing what's good, for doing the right thing. There are times when acting ethically in your business will cost you something, money, influence, a promotion, uh, the esteem of your colleagues. There are times when you will suffer if you do the right things at school, 
at work, in the place you volunteer, in your family. Um, you, you may suffer for simply for believing the Bible about uh, any, any host of certain social issues. And we tend to think, I, I think we, we have this underlying assumption sometimes, if I do what's right, then my life will kind of go smoothly. Right? If I, I just have to focus on doing what's right and then my life is gonna kind of lay out, it's gonna be really smooth. But that's just not true, right? It's not true in experience, if you, you I mean, you know. Um, and, it's, and the Bible is so clear on this, I love it. The Bible doesn't say your life's gonna be so easy. <laughs> Actually, quite the opposite, right? Paul says, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? Uh, Peter says in, in verse 317, chapter three, verse 17, uh, that sometimes it is God's will for you to suffer for doing good. Sometimes God's will is you would do the right thing and you would pay for it. That's his will for you. So clear, the Bible is. We will suffer. Um, and, and we should endure even unjust suffering um, for doing good. All right, second, why should we do this? Why should we suffer unjustly? And we're Americans, right? So we struggle with this. We, we do struggle with this. Are you telling me if someone slaps me on one cheek, I should turn the other cheek to him also? You're telling me if someone takes my tunic, I should give him my cloak as well? Does he know we don't wear tunics or cloaks? Yeah. Uh, you're telling me if someone, if someone forces me to go one mile, to go two miles with them? Yeah. That's what Jesus said, right? That was a quote from Jesus. Why should we do this, though? Why are we called to this unjust suffering? Well, one, first, what we see in our passage is, is for favor with God. Favor with God. I, I think sometimes in our, in our gospel-centered cultures, uh, theological culture, which I love, uh, I think we're afraid to talk about this a little bit uh, because we know that our hearts are so bent on going back to dead religion, right? To, to earning God's uh, love and earning our way into God's favor. The, the, the thinking uh, you know, of that is, if I do what's right, then God will love me and, and will give me a good life. And, and this mindset is, is opposed to the truth. It's opposed to the gospel. The gospel is not that I obey and so I'm accepted. It's exactly the opposite. It's I'm accepted and so I obey. The motivation of a Christian isn't that God might be mad at us or we might not make the cut. Right? You, better, you better stay in line. No, no, that's not the motivation of a Christian. The motivation of a Christian is grateful joy. Jesus made the cut for us and he just gave us his righteousness. Right, we are perfectly accepted right now. We're perfectly loved right now. And maybe that's just the thing you need to hear this morning, Christian. Like, God loves you right now. Like sometimes as Christians, isn't this funny? But this is actually what we need to hear. Like, I mean, it's what we need to hear every day. But here's some, maybe you need to hear this sentence. God actually loves you. Do you believe it? Right? He, he couldn't love you any more than he does right now. And if you think, wait, wait, hold on. Then, then you're basing his love on your performance. Right? He doesn't love you because you're good. You're not. Right? I'm not. It's not based on it. It's based on Jesus' performance, who happened to be perfect. Right? And so God loves you. You're accepted. You're completely accepted. We have to work that into our hearts deep down. That has to change us in all the ways it needs to. 
But of course, that acceptance, being a child of God, it leads to wanting to please our father, right? It leads to wanting to please our father. It's the best when my boys uh, imitate me. I have two sons and, you know, I'll put on a ball cap and they'll run into their rooms and get a ball cap and put it on, right? Come out. And why do they do that? Like, what's motivating them? It's not because they're scared of me. And they're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be dad's son anymore if I don't put a kid. No, like, they, they, they want to be like me, right? They, they want me to see them and smile. And when, 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 that's what Peter's saying here. You know what makes God smile? It's when his children who love him, they do the right thing and they suffer for it and they endure in hope. And he's like, I see you, daughter. I see you, son. He smiles. Second, we, we endure unjust suffering because we follow Jesus' example, right? This is verse 21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus is our example. Um, the word used for example here, it's, a, it's the word for a little forms that, a, that children would use to trace their letters. It's like little stencils, you know, that would teach kids their letters. So Christ is our stencil. He, we, we're to write our lives, trace our lives onto his. What did he do? Verse 22, he did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus was sinless. He always loved, this is so impressive. Do you ever think about how impressive Jesus was? He always loved God with his whole heart, his whole mind, his whole strength. He, he always loved others as himself. He always, he lived righteously. He always told the truth and he suffered for it. And in his suffering, he was like a lamb that before its shears is silent. Um, they insulted him. He didn't insult them back. When they whipped him, he didn't threaten them. When the nails tore through his flesh, he didn't, he didn't curse them. He didn't fight back. What did he do? Verse 23, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I don't know if you watched any of the confirmation hearing this week for Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Um, if you did, you heard a lot of discussion about the law and, uh, and statutes and precedent and legal procedure. And, and it's complex, right? Uh, justice is difficult. Um, it, you, you start to see even, even monumental decisions uh, you know, that the Supreme Court makes are often decided 6-3 or 5-4. Um, even the best human court only get it partially right, right? Only gets it partially right. There's no, there's no true um, justice uh, on, on earth, right? Human justice is always incomplete because no human is omnipotent or omniscient, right? No human knows everything. No human can, can actually uh, punish people in the ways that they deserve. But there is one who can. There's one who judges justly and that's God. And Jesus, while suffering unjustly, rather than lashing out in revenge, he entrusted himself to God. He gave himself to his father, the judge of all. He obeyed in Romans 12, 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. 
because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. So why endure unjust suffering? Because I'm not the judge and you're not the judge. Right? There's one judge and he will bring vengeance. Like he will repay each one for what they've done in the body, whether good or evil. He's the only one who can. He's the only one who can actually judge justly. And because he's the only one with all the knowledge of what people have thought and said and done, he's the only one with knowledge of everyone's motivation. Um, he's the only one who, who has the power to punish people exactly as they deserve. He's the only one who has the power to restore everything that has been broken, to make all things new. You can trust him to do that. That's what Jesus did. And that's why it looked like weakness when he was being beaten, when he was being whipped, when he was being crucified. It looked like weakness, but it was not weakness. It was strength. In his weakness, he was strong in the Lord because he entrusted the one who judges justly. In preparing um, this message, I thought of some people in our church who have uh, endured unjust suffering. I'm sure many of us have, many of you have. Um, Probably in in small ways, probably in unnoticed ways, uh, you know, that, that no one even knows about besides you. And I think that's as it should be. Right? But, but if, if that is you, just know that it wasn't unnoticed by the one who really matters. He saw, he sees, he knows. But I thought that perhaps a good example of this are uh, some of the foster and adoptive families in our church. Right? They're, they're doing good. Right? They've gone to the state or to an adoptive agency and said, man, I'll take care of a child you know, who needs it. I'll bring them into my family. I'll give them everything. So wonderful, right? Um, and it's really, it's really, can be really romantic in the idea stage of that. But when they do it, they find that it's really, really, really hard. Really hard. And those of you who've walked, who are adoptive families, those of you who've walked with them know this. Dealing with CPS and the courts, it's often challenging and heartbreaking. It's suffering. Relating with the child's biological parents, if they're in the picture, praying for reunification, wanting what's best for the child, not knowing what that is, it's, it's so difficult and it's suffering. Often the children struggle right, with very, all kinds of things. Uh, and, and, and even despite a great family situation, they just aren't even thankful. They aren't even glad to be a part of, a, of the adoptive family. It's like a knife to the heart. It's suffering. But what an example of faithfulness to us all. Right? You, you do what is good and you suffer unjustly for that child and you endure it in hope. And so you're like Jesus who suffered unjustly for us. Number three, how can we do this? Where do we get the power we do not have the power or strength to do this ourselves, do we? <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Uh, suffering, especially unjust suffering, uh, it will make us bitter. It will make us angry. Um, it, will make us, it will make us just despair if we try to just grin and bear it. That's not what we're called to. What are we called to? Well, as always, we look to our Savior. We look to Jesus. Verse 24, he himself 
bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Not only was Jesus our example in his suffering, uh, he was our substitute. He was our substitute. Peter uses language from the great messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53. Here, he quotes Isaiah 53 several times, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, uh, but, but predicts his suffering in, in great detail. Uh, this is Isaiah 53, verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's the truth. We've all like sheep turned our own way. We've all gone astray, right? When the Bible calls us sheep, that is not a compliment. Sheep are dumb, defenseless animals. They need shepherds or they die. They just die. Um, every one of us is like a sheep going our own way, running like mad into danger. We think we know what's best, right? We sit as sovereign over our own lives. I think we have such a, a, a small view of our sin. Sometimes we just think of sin as like little things that we might do throughout the day that we know are wrong, right? Oh yeah, if I tell a lie, that's a sin. Oh yeah, if I, uh, you know, if I steal something, that's a sin. But it, it, as, as we read the Bible, we start to see our sin is way deeper than we ever thought possible, right? The, take the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. If that's the greatest commandment, how often have you lived your life in that way? How many actions in your life have you done where you love, out of love for God, of all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength? Any? <laughs> have there been any moments? Right, we start to see it's a whole orientation. It's a whole, it's a whole way that, we're, that we in the, we're so corrupted by sin, even down to our motivations, um, and, and we need the Lord to keep revealing things in our life and how we're, we're against him, right? The, the parts of our lives that we haven't turned over. We've, we've all done things, we've all done things we know are wrong, right? If you're not convinced, we've, you've done things you know are wrong, right? And if, if you know, if you failed your own standards, how do you think you're gonna fare against the standards of the perfect judge? The judge who knows all, who sees all, no one is hidden from his sight. we know that the wages of sin, the salary that we earn from our rebellion is death. This is what we all deserve. So while we, we may experience suffering that is unjust in, in one situation or another, uh, we realize that, that we all deserve worse than we receive, right? We might, we might not deserve a certain suffering. And I'm certainly not saying that your suffering is, is your fault directly, right? But each of us, I think we can agree, deserve infinitely worse suffering than we deserve, than we get, right? We each deserve the infinitely worse suffering of separation from God. And so we, we come to understand that in fact, there is only one person, there's only one person who has truly suffered unjustly, 
and that's Jesus, the Son of God, the only sinless one, the only faithful one, the only truthful one, the only selfless one. He was insulted. He was spit upon. He was beaten near to death. He carried our griefs and carried our sorrows. He bore our sin, right? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I wonder, have you felt the weight of your sin? And have you turned that burden over to Jesus? Do you, do you see what the offer is? You, you've rebelled like a sheep and you're carrying the guilt and that shame on your soul like a hundred pound backpack. But you don't have to bear it. He will take that burden. He will take it forever. You have marred your soul by transgressing the law of God over and over and over and over but by his wounds, you can be healed. You simply receive it. You receive salvation as a gift. You come to the cross like Pilgrim in John Bunyan's great story and your burden is removed. And then what? You feel light. You can sing, right? My chains are gone. My heart is free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And that's what happens. That's what happens. That's how we get the power to do this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that, it says, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. When you see the son of God suffering unjustly for you, all right, in your place for your sin, when you trust him, when you're free from your burden, right, when you're healed, then you have the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ to endure patiently the suffering in your life. You can, filled with his presence, filled with his love, really trust the just judge. Right? The, the, the one, the, the perfect one who suffered injustice for you. You can trust him that he'll make everything right. You can, um, and here I go back to, to chapter two, verse 12. You can conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Remember that God is calling men and women from the whole world, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to follow him. Our lives are the testimony. And when we suffer unjustly and we endure it, people will be curious to find out how we do that. I don't know that there's a better witness to the world. Peter keeps stressing this, right? Our, our holiness, our faithfulness to God, our being a people who belong to God, it's not just for us. It's not just for us. If it was just for us, we could just be beamed up to heaven when we got saved, right? We could go live in a monastery all alone, right? No, we are to be in the world, 
but not of the world, so that the world asks us a question. Right? So that the world asks us a question. And it's interesting to ask, to, for us to ask ourselves a question. What if the world isn't asking us a question? What does that mean about us? We're to be in the world, but not of the world, so that the world asks us a question. How are you not filled with bitterness right now with all that I've seen happen to you? How are you able to give up your rights and serve others like that? It doesn't seem even right. How, how are you filled with joy when you're suffering like this in your life? And the answer is not, oh, I just kind of have a laid back personality. No, no, it's not, I'm really great. It's he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's why. That's the only way, right? He did that so that I could die to sin and live to righteousness. I, he, I'm his, I belong to him. I trust him. Right, this is what it's like to be part of the family. Would you like to join the family? Suffering unjustly for the cause of Christ glorifies Jesus as supremely worthy and gives us the opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So when your boss treats you unfairly this week, when things don't go your way, and when suffering comes, how will you respond? Will you lash out in anger? Will you cower in fear? Will you mumble in resentment? Will you spend the next 24 hours coming up with that what thing you should have said? Or will you follow our Savior who suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps and continue to trust, continue to hope, and continue to love? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word um, that, that is so honest with us, that addresses us, that, that reveals the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We are, we are not, not good at this, Lord. We're not sufficient for this. As always, this call is too heavy. It's too hard for us. And so I just pray that no one in this room would try to do this by their own power. No one in here um, would just try to bear up and, and uh, grit this out. But instead, that each of us would be filled with your Holy Spirit. We'd be filled by your love. That, that Holy Spirit, you would help us. You would give us the power. You would lead us into this faithfulness that you're calling us to. Jesus, thank you for suffering so unjustly for us. That you would give up your life for ours. That you would die in our place. Um, <laughs> we will praise you forever for that. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.